you're working on a game and, and the publisher's getting a little nervous that you're not making enough progress. And so they just mm -hmm. move in with you. That's also <laughs> an unpleasant experience. Welcome to Game Dev Advice, the game developers podcast, your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J.P. Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me. It's about you and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call, 224-484-7733, or go to the gamedevadvice.com. Com website. So let's kick things off with the new game dev advice. Hey, so I finally got a new episode out. It's taken me a while. I've had a lot of personal and professional things going on, and episodes do take a lot of a lot of time and energy. So um, it was good to hear from people, Stephen, Alina, other listeners. Um, kind of helped give me some motivation to carve some time and and make these. Uh, new episodes available. Today's guest is Norman Morris, a 25-plus year veteran of the industry who's worked at both game studios and tools companies. EA, Sega, Crystal Dynamics, and Stormfront Studios are some of the bigger ones, along with over 10 years as a triage engineer at Perfor Software, helping developers. He's also a lifelong learner and self-taught engineer, Master Practitioner in Neuro-Linguistic Programming, Toastmasters Advocate, and Personal Coach. Hey, Norman. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to having this talk with you. So where are you calling in from? In my home due to COVID in mm -hmm. uh, Oakland, California. How are you doing with everything going on related to COVID and, and all those kind of things? I got my second vaccine last Saturday, so Excellent. I'm feeling invincible now. Um, <laughs> I'm planning a trip back east and to Florida to go to my nephew's wedding at the end of the month. So hopefully I'll be all, all ready to do that. Probably continue to do masking and stuff like that in order yeah, to be a good citizen. The whole COVID thing was a real shock to me because I had worked in the office forever. Yeah. I hardly ever telecommuted unless it was just you know, reading or... a book at home or doing something. I'd yeah. never actually set up the home office. Okay. But then uh, when COVID started, they, you know, I had about a week notice to say, go home and stay there. Mm. And they let me take my computer home and stuff. And it, actually, it was pretty seamless. And I've been pretty productive since. Yeah. All I got to do is figure out how to keep, you know, my wife from coming and interrupting me and setting <laughs> certain boundaries. But that works. <laughs> and I don't have kids. I know people who have kids have really had a crazy time. Yeah. So tell me about your current role. It's an interesting one. I'm a triage engineer at Perforce Software. Um, okay. It's basically like a second tier support engineer. Mm -hmm. um, if you call us up and ask about some Perforce problem you have, uh, you get entered into our Salesforce database and one of the first tier people will probably take your problem and see what they can run with it. Mm -hmm. But if it involves a uh, some details of Swarm, which is our, our code review product, uh, which is one of my specializations, or has something to do with the APIs or SDKs that we ship, it turns up being in my area. 
Yeah. Um, there's other triage engineers that kind of work on the server meltdown problems that can happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's not my specialization. So I'm kind of taking a, a, a bit of a side role there, but it gives me a chance to code a lot more. I end up writing a lot of code in my spare time. Perforce is like the industry standard for the game industry in terms of um, version control and all those kind of things. I mean, it is the the thing, right? I mean, that's right. Um, you know, if you're, I, I'm a big believer in, in self-teaching and stuff and, and learning things as you go. And uh, one of the things I learned was, well, everybody should learn Git is my first recommendation because you're going to end up having to deal with it at some point in your career. Mm -hmm. um, but right after Git, you should probably uh, expose yourself to Perforce so that you can figure out how the all the big game studios are using it. Um, and the reason why is because the handles binary assets a lot better and it's decentralized. So mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't require you to have all the assets on your local machine. And yeah. it allows a central control and management of, of your assets so you know where they are and who has them and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it, it's evolved for a while. Before software was just maybe 20 years old. I've been yeah. with the company 10 years. Wow, and uh, I first used Perforce when I was at uh, Stormfront Studios. Yeah, I remember. Um, I wrote a program in P4 Web for all the developers to use to synchronize their local workstations and stuff with assets that came in every night. Hmm. As that, that was a great career extension. And when I ended up applying to Perforce later, they said, oh, you already know us. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've used us in written tools. So that's yeah. Perfect. And, uh, you know, I've always uh, thought of myself as a tool maker. So working at a big tool company is a, is a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, and by the time I uh, found the job at Perforce, I'd already been, you know, laid off maybe four or five times in the game industry. And yeah. it's hard to keep a job more than two years. Yeah. So actually having been at Perforce for 10 years feels kind of a little miraculous. To me. Um, so yeah. it was nice to have the steady job and yet be able to write tools that help game developers. And so that's one of the things that really motivated me to stay at Perforce and to keep supporting the game development community. No, that's great. And I've been multiple places where you try and get around it and maybe you're on GitHub or something or, or Git or whatever it is. And then it's like, mm -hmm. all right we have to take it to the next, the next level. And so we took to the next stage. We, you reach out to Perforce and, and we did that level X. I remember that was like a transition and, mm -hmm. and it's been great. Like um, it's just kind of yeah. the evolution of game development when you get to a certain size and you're dealing with check-ins and all this stuff, because when, when people are idle and just sitting there waiting and things aren't, you know, that's, Oh, there's just, nothing worse. If you're sitting there waiting oh, for a it's big, brutal. That's a big synchronization. Yeah, and nobody yeah. can do any work. Or if yeah. some artist checks in a big level and you're stuck now until everybody can get yeah. three gigabytes of goodness across your crappy yeah. network. In your <laughs> so yeah. that's yeah. what we ran into in Stormfront Studios and we mm -hmm. transitioned from uh, from Subversion to Perforce. I mean, yeah. we tried to use the free tool, which at the time was Subversion. Right, um, I remember that. And it just had bad properties in that it required to have a copy of everything 
at every workstation. So it required really big hard disks and really long sync times. Mm -hmm. And and I didn't have anybody to support it. You couldn't call anybody up and ask questions, uh, which right. yeah. even perforce at that time was helpful. You could actually call them up and get some support. Yeah. Well, we've always had live people that are support line for years. And that's, that's not true for a lot of other software out there. As a former producer doing the math, when you have all of these people idle and your deadlines and your dates and all that, time is just wasted it just makes you pull your hair out you're just losing your mind so it's like you know spend the money get the tools and, and keep people productive well it's not free you got to build up some expertise in your organization to support yeah. perforce too That's correct you need a perforce admin mm -hmm. and they don't just come from nowhere they got to get trained and frequently what we find is you know the admin quits or something and everything's been trundling along great for, you know, three years or something. And uh -huh. they call us up uh, six months later because they don't know what's going on and the admin is pretty clueless. And so we got to walk them through a lot of the basic and do the training ourselves in order to get them back and running. I see. But it is, it, it is certainly um, the tool of choice for all the game studios. Great points. Um, how did you get started in the video game industry? Well, just by accident, I was working at a at a company that did kernels for Unix. They ported mm -hmm. Unix kernels to new hardware. Okay. And at the time, they were working on like 6,800 processors and VME boxes. And uh, wow. I, I worked there as a company called OSS. Yeah, OSSI bought us, which was Fujitsu. And Fujitsu was using mm -hmm. us to port uh, Unix to their soft to, to their hardware. Right. And then they moved us to San Jose and this uh, guy named Randy Farmer came into the office and says, you know, they need to build a team to import this program called Habitat that the Japanese really like that had hmm. been developed by Fujitsu in Japan to English and to the English market. And they wanted us to take their existing code and move it to, you know, basically yeah. implement it for them there. What year was, was this? On, let's see. I kept my resume around in case I forgot dates. Um, <laughs> 1990, yeah, 94. Okay. Yeah. And, I, and the client that we wrote it in, it was, uh, it was, we ended up rewriting it and calling yeah. it Worlds Away. The company renamed itself Fujitsu Cultural Technologies. And, uh, and we created a wow. graphical online virtual community for CompuServe. <laughs> the CompuServe, that was, his, yeah, that was standard for gaming. That you go uh -huh, that was it. That's, you know, Windows 95 was just coming out. And so having really good graphics on a PC was something that didn't happen yet. Right. And that we used a Solaris backend server and supported yeah. Macintosh, Windows, and Solaris clients. Wow. I was the tech lead for the project because, uh, I don't know, the, the guy who's kind of the evangelist that kicked it all off just liked me and says, you can be the tech lead. I guess I was the <laughs> only one to really stand up and volunteer in the meeting. Everybody right. else was thinking, you know, this isn't real. This is game stuff. I'd prefer to go work some kernel code, something important. Uh, yeah. Um, so it was the old... Um, yeah, separation between the, the core developers and the game developers. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, we started up our own, uh, our own group and it took about three years and we created uh, uh, Worlds Away out of that. And it was a very successful product. Hmm. Um, and our customers, are the, the Fujitsu was happy with the, the product of that. That's great. So after leaving that, I ended up going into something that was a little more gamey, which is Total Entertainment Network. Where yeah, I ended up. That was online. I, I vaguely that was that. online yeah. games. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, it was during the time when to get online, you still needed a modem. 
And so it would. Uh, <laughs> I worked at US Robotics briefly, and you get the handshake, and you have the uh-huh. INF file to make it work. And uh, yeah, it was wild. Yeah, it was, yeah. And we integrated with a lot of other games that were outside, like Quake and Quake 2 and Duke Nukem yep. and Total Annihilation and NASCAR Racing Online. Hmm. Uh, we added features supporting tournaments and leagues and communities of various kinds. And okay. I did a lot of programming, uh, network programming and C++ and SQL and things like that. And I ended up spending a lot of time playing Quake. Mm-hmm. So, so that was interesting. Yeah. Um, and I had to travel a bit. I later became, I was a games integration engineer there and I got promoted to being the manager of games integration. So I ended up traveling to various studios and talking to them about how they were going to integrate their games with our network. Mm-hmm. And the plan was that people would pay us in order to connect to the games okay. um, and the games went free and messed up the business model. Ah. So our business model was getting very, very hard to find towards mm-hmm. the end there around uh, 1998 or so. And we ended up spinning up uh, half of the company became Pogo Games. Oh, yeah. You might have yeah, heard right. of. Uh, yeah. They ended up getting bought. EA, EA bought them. So half the company started working on Java games, Pogo. And then uh, my half of the company, which is the more hardcore uh, network uh, communication stuff, just kind of uh, died. Uh, As I left that company, I ended up getting absorbed into electronic arts because they were looking for people to work on their networking stuff, too. So I ended up working in electronic arts for about three years after that. And that trundled along for a while. And ultimately, everybody got laid off from from the central technology group there. Yeah, uh, my pogo friends got to stay. They ended up getting bought and uh, and stayed there for a while. Right, that's what kicked me off into the game industry was just that experience uh, mm-hmm. working on Worlds Away. Like I say, I got that's to cool. see my uh, you know Worlds Away was cool. You built this kind of community, and you had a, an arm or not an arm, but um, people who supervised to make sure that people behaved correctly hmm, moderators got to yeah. each other yeah moderators hmm. of, of kinds and this is all early on when we thought we were creating uh you know a snow crash which is- <laughs> <laughs> to date myself i was at uh viacom new media and, and we had the license to snow crash and i was not mm-hmm. on that team but there was a team developing a snow crash game with um neil stevenson or uh, really yeah uh, he came by the studio i'm told Wow. And in development for a year or two, there was a snow crash game that never saw the light of day. But Yeah, um, I never heard of it. I, I yeah. would play it if I knew. No, because it was a killer IP and it was... Yeah, hopefully um, they had the pooning, you know, where you can go and right. harpoon the cars and follow behind them on your skateboard. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought that was great. That was wonderful yeah. action scene in snow crash. So looking back... Um, do you wish you had known you'd started going all the way, you know, back to the beginnings and all your career? Well, I'm not sure I would have done things different. I think what really helped me move into the game industry and move up through the game industry is is my innate ability to just learn new stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I just kept applying myself to learning different things as I went. You know, great the way I learned C programming language was I learned assembly language first. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, when That's hardcore. In, you know, you're talking to the metal, right? That low yeah, level well, stuff. Yeah. When I was in the Navy, I joined the Navy. I was a medic for the Marines and I was stuck in Okinawa for a year 
Wow. And um, I, I was actually had a single board computer hmm. where you could go and you had a little hex keypad and you can type in the hex op codes for the things you wanted to run. And if you typed hmm. all the hex codes in in just the right order, you could write little programs that would loop and stuff. And so the big deal was to attach a keyboard to it and to actually, I typed in this entire half inch thick book of, <laughs> of op codes to build an assembler. So I would wow. save that assembler on magnetic tape, meaning a cassette. And then I could actually use the assembler to write assembly language and Damn. compile that down and run that. I was doing all this when I was supposed to be learning medical stuff. And so they decided, <laughs> you know. Just put a tourniquet on it. He's, that'll be fine. They're good. So, so when I got out of the Navy, I just decided I wanted to be in the West Coast somewhere and work on computer stuff. Mm -hmm. So I went to Byte Magazine. Oh, yeah. yeah back pages that. of Byte Magazine. Yeah. And I counted Classified. where every company was and what, what their location was. And the one with the most everywhere was Sunnyvale. <laughs> so I ended up moving to Sunnyvale and living in a, in a little hotel there and going door to door. Wow. A job, which I, I ultimately did at a disk drive company down there. So. So, so you just like yellow pages and like, all right, these companies have computers. I'm just going to knock on some doors, pound the pages, right. as they I went, say. And, I just yeah. made a big list. Well, first I picked the, the, the town that had the most companies. Yeah, yeah. And then I went door to door in that town. It was really my sad day when I got the call from Apple about two days after I already accepted a job at this disk drive company because wow. this is back in 1982. Ooh. something my the stock would have been worth a lot by now <laughs> dug my way through the disk drive industry and uh and taught myself c and taught myself assembly language better and i managed uh, some burn-in racks for disk drive companies and mm -hmm. did some testing there and then um and i worked my way into file systems and optical storage so we did these write once read many discs so you could write to them but you could never read anything back or you could never change anything you wrote was what the deal was so it's always continuing so we created a whole file system for that and we made it cross-platform between mac and pc and that was actually wonderful experience to prepare me for working at perforce where we do something very similar but allow you to actually rewrite your code yeah. um, instead of having to write once to the file systems but that got me into doing kernel hacks and kernel hacks got me into working at Fujitsu and Fujitsu got me into that. But it was all self-taught. I mean, I, I taught myself Unix. I taught myself C, taught mm -hmm. myself assembly language. You know, by yeah. the time I got into the games, I was already uh, the lead engineer for the Fujitsu cultural technologies there. For, for people that are looking to build your skills, I highly recommend that you learn how to use Linux. Okay. Right. You should really know yep. how to use Linux and you should really know how to use PCs, learn both. So, yeah, and enthusiasm. You know, I, I think that when I first heard about Worlds Away, the fact that I showed enthusiasm in that meeting is what got me the job and placed me in there to do the, mm -hmm. the tech lead stuff. But mm -hmm. there is some amazing code out there, like, you know, the original Quake was yeah. some amazing code that could do wonderful things without using a lot of hardware and was able to render the graphics and keep your screen rate up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because frame rate is so critical for a first-person shooter, especially. And people have not played Quake or Quake 2, especially. That was just 
that was such a watershed that moment. Was, you know, just, that was a real you know. breakthrough game. It was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they actually used, they, they, everybody was in a, a session together, but one of the servers actually, or one of the clients actually ran a server underneath. And hmm. so everybody was sharing the same server and it was just spawned off on one of the clients and uh, the code was really succinct and, and code like that is what ended up getting uh, open GL and stuff more standardized. Um, mm-hmm. So in terms of, and you touched on this a little bit ago, but uh, in terms of advice, giving someone to get their first job, I mean, you talked about learning stuff on your own and having an initiative. Yeah. What kind I, of advice do you have? Yeah. Learning on your own and having initiative and going out and meeting people. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to GDC every year for 15 years, maybe. Cool. Frequently it was paid for. Sometimes it wasn't. I would just have to go hang out and talk mm-hmm. to people and get to know people and collect cards. Yep. I think uh, in retrospect, I would focus a little more on social skills earlier on. I mean, I'm kind of a geek, right? I'm a programmer, basically. Yeah. And I enjoy Nothing doing that. code yeah, right. and I can manage things at a certain level. But um, I think one thing that helped me a lot was Toastmasters. Oh, wow. Just just going to Toastmasters meetings and being able to present and not be so scared and organize my thoughts and be Hmm. able to get an idea across was something that was that came too late for me. I don't I don't think I actually took my first Toastmasters until I was 45 or something. I would actually recommend you sign up for it earlier and learn the social skills Uh, and and meetups and stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, which is another way to meet people. Yeah. And there, there are some other social things that, that you can do to, to build your skills. There's a, one of the things I studied at one point was neuro-linguistic programming. And they call it NLP. But yeah, it's NLP. I'm familiar with that. Natural yeah. language programming. It's neuro-linguistic programming. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of opinions about it. And Mirroring and stuff are, like that, right? Are very opinionated, uh, anti that. But actually, if you just go and pay attention to what's going on or take an NLP training, you learn a lot about yourself and other people and their motivations, mm-hmm. um, how the connections happen how to socialize and and uh, and where people go, where they spend a lot of their time in their internal processes and things. Mm-hmm. So I, I recommend that too at some point if you come up with the money or if you have the ability to go find the material and read about it. The social side is important, but it's also important to keep working on your technical skills too. Definitely. Right. Learn the various tools along the way. If you're interested in games, uh, you know, and if you're an artist, especially, you need to learn Maya. You can go download Unity, mm-hmm. right, and write your own games. You can go online and, and join communities of people that are working on various things and can help you with your own game engine questions. Yep. Um, you can build your own little studio. At, at one point, I was laid off in. 2008 or so around when the big crash happened Mm -hmm. and i i ended up getting together with a friend or two of mine from stormfront studios and we created a unity game that was very early it was early unity yeah i remember 2011 and that was still pretty early so 2008 wow that was was really early and uh, i was the technical guy for it and the guy i teamed up with was an artist Mm -hmm. and it was actually a side-scrolling shooter called the adventures of marshall marshmallow (laughs) and so you would go and tap on the screen and that's where you would shoot and all the marshmallows would pop up and you can go and hit them really quick and then they would like frizz up as as they got 
fried from being okay. hit. And so it just slide to the left and you would do that and lots of Western scenes and some really great Western music that we had from one of the contributors. Okay. And it was actually on the, uh, it was on the Apple store for iPhone for about a year there as a free download. <laughs> I think we right. sold maybe two or three copies at a dollar and then it went free. But it was a wonderful thing for my career. I've still used that uh, that Unity experience when I worked at Perforce, for instance. Yeah. Um, one of the things Perforce ran into is that Unity was charging a lot of money for people to use Perforce. They wanted to charge a $750 fee in order to let you use their version control integration. And we found somebody who had a free version control integration for Perforce, and we bought it from them for like I don't know, a small amount of money. Yeah. I ended up taking over the project. So it was called P4 Connect for about two or three years, where I would write code in C Sharp and support uh, Unity and that would integrate with Unity and allow you to use Perforce without having to pay that extra fee. Finally, Unity got smart and got rid of that fee, and then my project became useless because their integration was actually probably cleaner and better. Um, so we deprecated that project, mm -hmm. but it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot of C plus or C sharp in the process too. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still doing that now. The project I'm working on now is converting our API to use the .NET API, and is a cross-platform API, so it supports Linux and Mac and Windows. In terms of advice, um, trying to advance your career as a software engineer, like somebody's <laughs> two, four, six, eight, whatever years in the industry, like what advice do you have for software engineers? Uh, you know, get GitHub is your resume. Okay. Go write some code. Go contribute to a project. Don't expect uh, everything to fall into your lap. Don't play games all day, right? Go write. <laughs> I agree. Go write games, right? Yeah. Go write. Go write anything, even if it's not a game. Find yourself a tool you like and contribute to it. Mm -hmm. uh, do pull requests. Find bugs. Submit those. If you participate in the communities on GitHub, then you're going to be making a lot of relationships that will serve you well. And learning too, technically. And learning a lot of stuff as you go. Yeah. And that's opportunities I didn't have, you know, back when I was growing up. Um, mm -hmm. GitHub didn't exist, right? right. So, yeah. So, and, and the, both, the, yeah. the internet didn't exist. The internet didn't come along until a little bit later. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, really get yourself familiar with the tools. Mm -hmm. Learn Git. Yeah. You're going to have to learn Git. You're going to have to learn how to use GitHub. You're going to have to learn how to do pull requests. You're going to have to learn a lot of things, and you might as well do it now. I'm pretty much self-learned. I have a bachelor's degree in computer science, but I didn't get it until 20 to, until the year 2000. Oh. And that's when I was an uh, engineering manager at electronic arts. So obviously by that time, right. I really didn't need any of that computer science -y stuff. Yeah, great theory, I, had, right. I had just learned in my degree, mm -hmm. but it took, uh, it, it made my wife happy. And she finally felt that I was a <laughs> a good human being because I had a degree, but it also <laughs> took me one class every other quarter for 11 years to finish <laughs> that. away at it. No. Yeah. So that's off to you for the, for, for doing it and have the tenacity to. Uh, yeah. To well, I'm, I'm glad I did. And I met a lot of interesting people and I um, learned a few things in like the operating systems class and there was a multi-threading class. It was good. But most of the time I was just a pedantic, uh, annoying guy that knew all the answers that sat in the back. Um, <laughs> and, and I see a lot of resumes from engineers and um, whenever there's a GitHub link, it's like, oh, plus one's a resume and lets people know like, okay, it's not 
Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please go to patreon.com backslash game dev advice. We'd love to see if you can support the show and help uh, new episodes keep coming out. That's patreon.com backslash game dev advice. Thanks. There's nothing worse talking to an engineer and be like, do you have any samples of your code? Like, no, I don't have anything. It's like, why not? Right. It's 2021. It's like, uh, so that's great. It's so much easier if you write it first, right. Instead of going to a company where they force you to do it on a whiteboard during an interview, Uh um, that, that shows you how to respond to stress. Um, I actually passed a couple interviews like that, but I don't approve of that interviewing style. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think torturing people um, on a whiteboard <laughs> is sometimes a little mean. Yeah, yeah, um, it's, yeah it's a little tough. Yeah, definitely. But um, yeah. yeah, if you ha- if you have something that exists, if you're an artist, do art, write characters, do environments. There's these little add levels to existing games, right? Write extensions or yep. games. Um, all those things are possible. There's really no excuse to be lazy and do nothing but play games. You got to apply yourself. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, then play a game for a little bit to reward yourself afterwards. And and like I say, if you go online, you'll find people that are trying to get together to work on something. So join some collaborative effort. Yeah. Even if it doesn't turn out to make you a lot of money, it'll make you some experience and some connections. So what's been one or two of your favorite games or projects to work on? You know, Worlds Away was fun because it was groundbreaking at the time. Mm-hmm. I guess the only the, the games I really worked on there is one at, at uh, a social strategy game we worked on at Super Ego, hmm. which turned it we called it Rat Race. <laughs> and it had uh, it was fun because it had an AI where you had a whole office full of people and they would respond to whispers and various rumors that were going on. Really, so it had this way that that kind of memes would propagate amongst people. <laughs> and I always thought that was interesting that uh, at Stormfront Studios, we worked on uh, Spiderwick Chronicles. Um, and I've always been kind of uh, outside of the game industry studios. I've always been kind of uh, a support organization and or networking infrastructure or organizational infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So like Laura Croft Tomb Raider was a good game that I, I uh, have credits for at crystal dynamics I'm oh, wow. playing cool. that game tying to that what are you curious about right now in the industry like you know i, I like how they're moving to next gen hardware and how everything's getting bigger mm-hmm. but i'm not sure that just increasing resolution is where it's all at i'm still thinking there's a lot of room and and network multiplayer type stuff that will allow mm-hmm. us to extend our communities and customize uh the way we appear and what we have uh, a yeah. lot of that has improved since I worked on it so many years ago, but I think there's still some room there. So, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think there's probably some future with AR Pokemon go and stuff um, right. have, have proven that. And I actually play surprisingly few games. I am uh, even when I was in the game industry, I ended up not playing as many games as you would think because yeah, me too. I was too busy doing work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you and, uh, work all the time. You don't have time for the games. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. And I'm a little, I'm, I'm very disappointed with, uh, well, with the game development process. I guess I'm segueing into something entirely different, but no, um, in, in most studios, I, I think that uh, one of the things I ran into is it was really hard for me to get a job after I got to a certain age. Imagine that. 
Hmm. I think part of the reason is because I was pretty expensive. And I think a lot of people are promoting from within when they shouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, One of your other podcasts I listened to discuss the same problem where there's no training opportunities for people to learn how Mm -hmm. to manage a team, how to do agile development, Mm -hmm. how to use the tools. You know, they just basically, if you want to hire an engineering manager, they'll find somebody who's an engineer and make them a manager. And usually that person's not very good for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> especially if they don't ever actually have any any mentorship that they can talk to, right, to, to help them improve, and and it also made it really hard for people like me who are wanting to get hired in as a senior manager or as a manager within the organization, mm-hmm. um, where I could have brought a lot of experience that I had to bear. Yeah. Um, they were having to suffer through training somebody up who didn't know what they were doing, right, and I. I found this over and over again and I, and it's a, it's a pocketbook thing, right? It's cheaper that way. And people think yeah. only way they're going to make more money is to become a manager. Uh, but larger organizations are getting more and more enlightened about that and providing, you know, better titles for people who remain in a technical track or right. people who retain in an artist track so that you can continue to get promotion or not promotions so much, but raises and stuff as, yeah. as you stay with the company without having to be forced into management, into management, Correct. right. Which is what happens a lot, uh, with, yep. uh, and you touch about the ageism things too. And, uh-huh. and that's, that's something that's, that's kind of real and it, it is real, right? Like people don't think about it is that. Real. I, but, I was, um, you know. I was unemployed for two, two and a half years before I got hired wow. by Perforce. Um, and uh, I wasn't, you know, farting around. I was actually yeah. uh, applying to a lot of places and I knew a lot of people in the industry. And uh, but it, it mm. just I was just too expensive, I think. Mm. And also I wasn't um, I was one of the, the class A game development lead and graphical developer oh, okay. type people they were looking for i was never actually in the core of the studio i was always kind of on the side organizing yeah. things building the tools common infrastructure common technologies and so that right. always made me it harder for me to find a good location for that mm-hmm. one company that did kind of match that was when i worked at crystal dynamics they yep. actually hired me in as a as a lead support engineer for the shared technologies group okay the shared technologies group created a game engine or supported a game engine that was shared by a couple different studios. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I was there, there was this big battle between the studios over who would get what was in Perforce. Because mm-hmm. one studio wanted to change stuff and another studio wanted to change the same stuff on the game engine. And then somebody right. had to actually merge all those changes back into the core game engine, make sure it didn't break either of the game companies and that it seemed to be a good idea theoretically but it turned Mm -hmm. out that we didn't make the company any money as the as the core technology group Uh, the studios made the money and so the studios won the fight they ended up each just splitting the game engine they both took a copy of it and made it their own and Mm -hmm. laid the rest of us off and so that was my last job at the big before the big outage and that's too bad because the um it's not the high profile stuff but that stuff's critical that that's you know the tools and the foundation and all that stuff lays the groundwork 
for everything else. I mean, Electronic Arts does it now. They have a core game engine, like one of them's called Frostbite, for instance, that shared yep, amongst their engine. Yeah. I think studios. it's old Renderware, right? Was that Renderware? The fact, yeah. And uh, and but they end up, you know, having a whole team that kind of supports the game engine, mm-hmm. right? And and then have a way to farm it out to the studios as consumers. Um, And yet, and they had enough pressure within the organization to keep the studios from overrunning them and just pulling anything they wanted whenever they wanted from them. It's always been interesting, the politics and game development. Yeah, Um. (laughs) definitely. uh, Game of Thrones there, Roman said it. Yeah, it is. And then, yeah, then crunch time was no fun either. Um, I I kept wanting to work actually in the the game industry on a game. So I worked at a couple places like that. And that's where I discovered crunch time too yeah um, tell me about and, that like what was your crunch well, story there was or, a time yeah. at stormfront studios where we were working uh, what was it six hours a day 10 days a week maybe more for some people and it was required right they expected mm. six hours or more than six well, well six. i mean 10 hours uh, oh 10 hours okay. six days yeah. a week yeah 10 yeah. hours a day yeah at least yeah and it might have been longer for some of them and, mm-hmm. and it got old. I mean, some of the team maybe needed that time, but a lot of the team were sitting around just kind of yeah, uh, that mandatory part of it during yeah. the crunch because it was it was mandatory, and, and yeah. it, it made me lose respect for for my management because they were mm-hmm. forcing us to do this. Um, I always think that crunch is a um, is just a, a symptom of bad planning, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I know any anytime you're working on a small game studio, you usually have a publisher that's right. involved. And so they'll provide a lot of pressure for you to get things out on time. But you yep. got to make sure that you give them a, a reasonable schedule that mm-hmm. you can meet instead of giving them the blue sky that you'd really like to have because right. that's what forces the crunch towards the end of the cycle. Mm-hmm. And then the quality of the game starts to drop precipitously after you yep. start crunching for any period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, uh, and you know, the, the people become unhappy too. So you end up mm-hmm. with a lot of unexpected people leaving or, or transferring and that's not good either. No, it's, it's um, huge to a project when you, when you lose those key stakeholders and stuff and, um, yeah. And, and to push back, right? Like, cause mm-hmm. a small studio with a publisher, guess what? The publisher keeps moving the goalposts, right? You know I mean? Yeah. That's, that's what they do. And you have to be like, call bullshit and be like, Hey, that's, I've also that's not been there before to, but, where, yeah. where, uh, you're working on a game and, and the publisher's getting a little nervous that you're not making enough progress. And so they just mm-hmm. move in with you. That's also <laughs> an unpleasant experience having yeah. two or three people from your publisher just kind of move in with you and work with you every day and right. you do and usurp the whole direction of the organization. So, yeah, so that's the other alternative. Don't mind me. I'm just here to say hi and <laughs> hang out and look over your shoulder. Uh, that's exactly oh, right. <laughs> so, so yeah. both those things are possible. Um, yeah. And, you know, one provides stress for the other, I guess. Yeah. I mean, what about potential threats you see in the industry? Like what scares you? Well, I think uh, the, the whole uh, introduction of, uh, smartphones and stuff has changed the game industry a lot since I was in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, My presumption is 
you know, when I'm thinking of games, I'm still thinking kind of of console games and PC games, but really most of the games aren't console and PC games. Most of your games are like phone games or online games, or, and a lot of them depend more and more on, on infrastructure, like purchasing infrastructure and, and networking infrastructure and yeah. um, social infrastructure, you know, they're connected to Facebook, or you're connected to, oh, right. to, to whatever. So the variety of games has come out, which I think provides maybe, uh, it's, it's more attractive to younger people. It's less more adult games. Mm -hmm. um than than i'm used to yeah. um i think that we're going to continue to spend money on adult games but it's gonna they're gonna get continuously more and more expensive and uh take longer and longer and now that we have really high resolutions coming out you know yeah uh, 8k games and things are gonna uh really expend take a lot of time more mm -hmm. time than we expect i think probably the footprint for uh class a game is going to move closer to five years rather than two to three which it right. is now yeah bigger and bigger um, teams and bigger yeah. budgets and and then the bigger risk the version because all the money and all you got to coordinate them yeah right yeah. you got to have the tools for them um but you know this whole covid thing has caused a shift in the whole industry that mm -hmm. uh, that nobody really understands yet it can I actually felt I was more productive working at home yeah. than, than I, I was at work. Although I really miss the social element. I miss um, having the nice cube where I could overhear what the conversation was in the break room. And, yeah. and, and my management technique of choice is management by wandering around. And that's, that's mm -hmm. really hard to do if you're contributed. Um, right. So, yep. Yeah, definitely. So, so in a way, I'm kind of glad I'm not a manager anymore. I just get the right code. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I have a regular job, right? I don't have to worry about um, crunch yeah. time. I don't, yeah. I've, I've been here 10 years, so I'm not really worried about being laid off. So mm -hmm. I get to work on on tools for game developers without having to suffer through the whole. Yeah, yeah, all, all that kind of stuff. So no, that that's a sweet spot, right? Like you can do that mm -hmm. without... And I got to a certain age where I just, the, the rat race mm -hmm. wasn't as much fun anymore. Yeah. The, yeah. the working the long hours and the having the long commutes, uh, living in the East Bay. Uh, when I worked at EA, I had an hour commute across the Bay. When I worked at uh, Crystal Dynamics, I had an hour mm -hmm. and 15 minute commute across the bay and so that was two hours a day that, of my life that was gone yep. and now that i have that two hours to do like gardening and other things or even a little additional work um, yep i'm a lot more comfortable i feel like it's uh my life's a lot better mm -hmm. well, well, yeah no that <laughs> and it was totally makes sense i, I have a, a long commute into the city and i uh i work more hours and I, i'm more uh Mm -hmm. happy and productive in some ways because I'm not spending three hours a day commuting. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I miss the social aspects of that. I do too. Yeah. Community. Yeah. Yep. Um, and there's gotta be, I'm really happy that I spent time with the people I work with. And mm -hmm. now that I'm, I'm kind of associated with support, I know the people in the support organization. So they All become right. my work family mm -hmm. and, and hearing their voices and talking to them and stuff is, is is very helpful to me i think i could get pretty lonely and isolated if i didn't have anybody to associate right. with right and, and and i think the key too is you had those relationships pre-covid so it's it's right. 
it's trickier if you like we've hired, I don't know, 65, 70, 75 people during COVID and they've never met anybody and it's always been a hundred percent remote. And that's a little tricky, right? Because you don't have those relationships. You don't know those personalities behind the voices and the faces. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's harder. Yeah. What's uh, a funny or odd story from working in the industry? And I'm sure you got a ton of them. Well, so. There was a time, I'm not sure, you know, I'm a geek, so I'll tell you a geeky, funny story. Sure. Um, totally perfect. When I worked at, uh, at Super Ego Games, I was in downtown San Francisco on 3rd Street. Okay. And we were using um, Alien Brain. <laughs> yeah. as our version yeah. control system version control yeah, right. and i was in charge of the version control system mid 90s so something like that or no this is oh four damn okay yeah, oh, four. That's still around. oh yeah yeah okay that makes and sense. um anyway our we we had a, a sister our company was split into two parts all the technical people were in san francisco and mm -hmm. all the artists were in new york and so we had two alien rain servers one in each office and they would like synchronize with each other Okay. using javascript synchronization uh, scripts that we wrote in order to keep everything in one place but it was hot in that office and so <laughs> one day one of the the developers brought a, a air conditioner in and plugged it in turned it on and all of a sudden kaboom all the power went out everywhere oh, on that floor shit. and our uh <laughs> We, 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 we yelled at him a bit and uh, yeah. chastised him. And then we brought the power back up and our server wouldn't boot anymore. So we lost yeah. the entire, we oh. lost an entire partition on a raid that we had. And it wasn't oh. the good raid. It was the speed optimized raid. So that code was really yeah. gone and we didn't actually have any, you know, good onsite backups. So we ended oh. up using these same alien brain sinks to synchronize from New York, the entire code base. Wow. Um, How long that, did that take? Uh, it took about three days, three, <laughs> three and a half days. And that was before the game got really big, right? I mean, this yeah. is a medium sized PC game. Wow. Um, so, yeah, be careful when you bring your refrigerator in. Um, <laughs> Or, that person was known as AC for the rest of their career. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you're the nice genius guy, I, I did. You have AC. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you more. Remember that time? Damn it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still know the guy. He's still embarrassed about it. <laughs> it's just trying um, to help, man. Damn. Um, I'm not sure that was the funniest story, but that's what came to mind. Yeah. And, no. Yeah. Awesome heartburn. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, it was it was fun working at Super Ego because I was the technical director there. I, it was a mm -hmm. brand new studio. And so the founder and his good friend, who's like the, the lead developer, grabbed me and, and wanted me to help put together the studio with them. Okay. And so I was in charge of like buying the furniture and the workstations and putting mm -hmm. everything together and setting up the Floor. this agile uh process where we put mm -hmm. uh three by five cards on the board yeah. and we would you know pick them out and use them for our tasks and stuff and yep. so i really enjoyed working there because it was so um this was from scratch everything was from scratch mm -hmm. um i never actually had that ability before 
I, mm-hmm. I borrowed a lot of stuff from open source. So yes. yeah. open source is your friend. That's, that's Think, cool. Yeah. Things you should learn for people who are trying to learn game stuff, you know, mm-hmm. Lua, Bugzilla. <laughs> right. Yeah. What games are you playing or excited about right now? Like, you know, I'm still playing No Man's Sky. Okay. And on. And uh, I just like it because it just seems to go forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, occasionally I'll switch and then I, I've been playing uh, Surviving Mars um, huh. for, uh, recently for some of the. What platform? Uh, that where you uh, actually, for console for uh, Xbox. Okay. And cool. uh, so I've been playing those recently and I got a back stock of other games, but I just haven't, I haven't been playing my normal stock of, uh, mm-hmm. of, of Bethesda games that I, I used to spend a lot of time on. I think partially it's because. Uh, time commitment, right? I mean, yeah, it's time consuming. Games. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really kind of miss being able to involve myself in online multiplayer stuff, but mm-hmm. being married and stuff, I was never able to carve out the time it took in order to, you know, join all my buddies in the guild on everything. Yeah. 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 That's a- that, that would have been fun if I could have done it at one time, but you know, those people, they do it for long enough. They don't have any life. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it absorbs their life. I've ever been meetings and people would be falling asleep because you're a, playing uh, world of warcraft till yeah. you know, three or four in the I was morning really, and, yeah. some of the top level people at crystal dynamics were playing world of warcraft at night and uh yeah and, and morning and yeah <laughs> yeah and so i don't know when they had time to sleep or to do anything else is there anything i should have uh, asked you about but didn't be, don't be afraid to learn tools mm-hmm. don't be afraid to uh to, to be on the edges uh don't yeah. be afraid to connect with people um, connecting with people and, and going to meetups and going to GDC and stuff are all important. Spend time doing that and spend time practicing. Cool. Um, where can people find you online? Like a uh, website or Twitter or... Uh... I have a, a Twitter handle game of self, which okay. is one word, I think. Cool. Um, uh, I hardly ever post there. Maybe I will now. Who knows? Okay. Um, yeah, and uh, and you could contact me that way if you want. Um, okay. I, I'm at I'm at Perforce. Um, if you if you contact the company, I'm sure they can get you in touch with me. Mm-hmm. Or if you have a support issue, you could always contact uh, Perforce Support and then ask for me, and that's another way to get a hold of me. Yeah, that, that's very helpful again for this audience because some mm-hmm. people are making games, and uh, it's a combination of aspiring and and uh, Game well, developers, so yeah. There's a lot of game developing people that I know through my company, through the support organization. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's, I'm sure you know people globally. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple people that work for me that are still at IDOS that I talk to all the time that are hmm. uh, constant Perforce users. And there's usually, you know, some gnome in every company that knows something about Perforce. It, it doesn't hurt <laughs> to be that guy. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think of my own company, Level X, we're like hiring for a, uh, a, a tools uh, engineer right now to like yeah to help. Well, I guess uh, I guess the other thing I would say technically is if you're going to learn programming languages, learn at least one compiled language and one scripting language. So okay. like learn C or C plus mm-hmm. plus, and then or Java, right? Which I all consider kind of compiled languages, and right. learn Python or something uh, a good scripting mm-hmm. language, Python or Perl or something, yeah. and that that'll pretty much keep your quiver of arrows full for anything you need 
Oh, and my wonderful set of tools I got from JetBrains. I just love everything that JetBrains makes. JetBrains, I know. What is that? Um, they make uh, in IntelliJ, which is the Java, oh. the Java IDE. Um, lately, I've been using C Lion, which is for C programming. Okay. I also have PHP Storm, which I use for PHP development, um, and Py PyCharm, and some other ones. Cool. Um, I think there's free community editions of some of these. So mm -hmm. uh, go out and learn yourself an IDE is also another good thing. Um, okay. You know, the old the old standard way is to do it in Eclipse, but setting up an Eclipse environment can be really painful. I've, I discovered that the, the IDEs from, from JetBrains are much more convenient for me. The last question is, you know, one piece of advice you give others working in the industry right now. Hang in there, remain enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. um, uh, don't let yourself be ground down. Feel feel free to um, share your ideas and and uh, and connect with other people. Okay. If you end up in an environment where you're feeling oppressed somehow, either they're overworking you or they're um, doing bad things because of your race or sex or something. Yeah. Um, move on, go, go, um, find yourself a better place. Cause there are more enlightened places now and, and right. to let them know if there's a problem with that. Yeah. Um, and, and I see this too, just, you know, the, the bro culture that, that we grew up with, um, is, is thankfully, you know, dying off. Right. So like, just, um, you have to put up with that garbage, right? Like, yeah, um, well, I mean, on. we hope it is. Um, I, and, you know, larger companies tend to at least give it more, yeah. um, more words and stuff, but it's, it's difficult. The game industry has always been very uh, testosterone driven organization. Right. You got to be really be careful that people are really getting hurt. If mm -hmm. you, uh, if you do that and you do that without any thought. Yeah. It's time to grow up. I think for the whole industry. Yeah. A thousand percent agree. Right. It's like, all right, we have to evolve here and we have to, get beyond the 15 year old, uh, mentality of, you know, yeah. yeah. And, and learn to do the social skills mm -hmm. masters that would Toastmasters and NLP. Yeah. Now no one's ever brought that up before. And that's a interesting idea with the Toastmasters. Yeah. Cause that I'm familiar with that organization. That's, that's a very interesting idea. Well, thank you, Norman. Um, this right, been a well, great conversation. You. Thank you for the interview. I enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Game Dev Advice, the Game Developers Podcast. Go to the website at gamedevadvice.com and you can find the show notes along with show notes for all the other episodes. Please also check out the new Patreon page at patreon.com backslash gamedevadvice. Have a lot of options up there for how you can support the show. Again, that's patreon.com backslash gamedevadvice. Thanks again for listening and being part of the show. Take care. Bye-bye.